Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. My name is Brian Adkins. Uh, I serve as Chancellor of Kingdom Institute here at the church, and I also have the uh, privilege to teach in Washington Classical Christian School, teach upper school, teach... Uh, I got literature, seventh grade literature put in my lap this year, but usually do the uh, Old Testament, New Testament history, biblical literature, history of Christianity, history of the Bible. Uh, my bachelor's degree was in uh, government with a concentration in international studies, so I do some history and some civics also. So anyway, privileged to uh, have the opportunity to speak. Appreciate Pastor own Pastor Marcy for giving me the opportunity. They're out celebrating Pastor Marcy's birthday and having a great time. Amen. Hope they come back refreshed. Anyway, all right, so this evening, um, I want to talk to you. I told Reverend Randy I was going to uh, trespass over into his territory a little bit. I want to talk to you about kingdom economics, but maybe a little bit of a different twist than what Reverend Randy uh, usually teaches on it. Kingdom economics, or ROI, return on investment. You know, uh, if you have a 401k or if you've ever done any investing, uh, you know, people are looking for return on investment. You know, even if you're flipping houses, you know, we've got people in the church that that's, that, you know, what they do for a living. They flip, they buy property, they flip it, and you're always looking for the return on investment, right? Because that's what you go into business for. Nobody goes into business. If you go into business to break even, you'll probably not be in business very long, right? You're looking to make a profit. And so uh, I want to, uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to talk about, uh, look at a, a particular parable that Jesus taught. And I love looking at the parables. Uh, you know, I always enjoy going and reading the parables. And if you read your Bible, the Bible will tell you that Jesus didn't teach unless he had a parable to teach. Jesus didn't do uh, word studies and exegetical breakdowns and all this other stuff. Jesus uh, taught with parables. And he would... Uh, paint images, you know, in a parable, you know, I, the church I grew up in, they always said that a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And really what it was, it was where Jesus would take stuff uh, that was everyday, ordinary, common things that people could relate to and that they understood clearly, and he would try to use that uh, to explain some principle of the kingdom. Shine, will you bring me a bottle of water up here real quick? I'm like cotton mouth going on up in here. Thank you. My lovely bride of almost 22 years, right? Amen. I definitely got the better end of the deal. <laughs> anyway, so, but Jesus used parables because people would remember it. It, was, it would take something that was familiar to them, and it would help them to, uh, to assimilate a spiritual truth that he was trying to communicate to them. And so I'm just going to start reading in Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 through 30. I'm reading now the New King James Version. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And, one he get, and to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. It says, And likewise, he who had received... Uh, uh, let me back up. So he who had received the five talents went out and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. 
after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, is, uh, there you have what is yours. But the Lord said to him, you, are wicked, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance." But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, one of the first things I want to say about this is it's, it's applicable to this, but it's applicable to all parables. You'll notice that it, Jesus starts it out as, for the kingdom of heaven is like... So he's drawing a comparison between the kingdom of heaven and what the story that he's getting ready to tell... Now, I know this may not be you. You may not have uh, uh, ever had this obstacle to overcome, but I know the church I grew up in, they always interpreted, they always took kingdom of heaven, they thought that kingdom of heaven and heaven was synonymous. You know, like, like we'll say, what's a country on the world, in the world today that's still a kingdom? Is Thailand still a kingdom? So that you say the kingdom of Thailand, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, right? When, you say, when we say the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, we think we're talking about a country and a geographic location, Right? But when Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven, it was distinct from heaven, the place where God dwelt. What, he's saying, what he really could have said was the government of heaven operates like this. He's telling you this is how the government operates. Just like when I'm teaching civics uh, to, our, uh, to the kids in Washington, and I'm convinced it's one of the subjects that people in our country are the most grossly ignorant of because if we were better educated, that's why they don't teach it in schools anymore because if they actually taught civics and how the government, how the Republic of the United States was supposed to operate, the Constitutional Republic of the United States, a lot of the garbage that's going on in our country wouldn't be let going on. So Jesus is telling, so it's really important, okay, whether we're talking in the natural realm or in the spiritual realm, it's your obligation as a citizen to find out how does your government work. And Jesus is the teaching through these parables to tell you this is how the government of heaven works, right? And so, um, the, so we, as we read through this, it says that we read the story that a master delivered his goods. Whose goods were they? They were his goods, so he delivers his goods uh, to his servants. Now, in this particular, you know, another the uh, the Luke account calls it a mina. This uses the word talent, um, and I'm sure Reverend Randy has absolutely looked this up before. But just what I could find today to to try to get some give you some idea of the amount of money that the master was uh, trusting to uh, the servants, uh, it says that a talent of silver today would be worth over four thousand dollars. So the one servant that got 10 talents to deliver to him, that would be $40,000 investment, right, that he's being given with. 
But the Bible doesn't tell us if it was a talent of silver or a talent of gold because talent was actually a measure of weight that they measured the precious metals by. So if it was a, a talent of gold, a talent, uh, there's all kinds of different, uh, you know, potential weights it could have been, but it seemed like that 33 kilograms was the lowest that I found. 33 kilograms and up was the measure of, of a talent, all right? So a kilogram of gold by today's standards is about $41,000 a kilogram, right? So you're talking at one talent, 33 kilograms. The one servant got 10 talents, which could have been 330 kilograms of gold or approximately $1.3 million. Okay, we're not talking chump change. We're not talking mom and dad gave you your allowance and went out of town, right? We're not talking about, you know, hired a babysitter and left $50 on the counter for pizza and some soft drinks. We're talking a significant amount of money. Really, what you could say, if we were putting it in today's context, you could say that this uh, master gave money to each one of his servants for them to put, to put into an investment portfolio. That it was money that was to be taken and it was to be invested, right? And that um, it says that the master gave to each of them according to their own ability. In other words, the master understood uh, that there was a potential. So one, he's like, this, he, he knows the, the servant's ability, so he entrusts more to him. And then the other one a little less. And then finally we see the one that gets one talent, right? Now, you understand this. Don't, that's not, that shouldn't be an insult. Any of you all that, are business, that have ever been business owners or managers or, or supervisors on a job, you know, you know your employees, right? If they've worked for you a while. You know what they can handle. And you know what happens if you overload somebody, right? They're going to lock up and they're not going to get anything done. So if you want to, to get the maximum productivity from that person, you know them, you know their ability, you know their load rating, so to speak, and you don't go over that or you realize there's a diminished return. You're not going to get much productivity from them. So the master knew these servants, and when he was, uh, when he was uh, giving out the assets, when he was passing out the, the, his, uh, you could say, his investment capital, right, when he was passing that out, he knew their abilities, and that was determined how, how much he gave them. So... So then the master goes on a journey. He goes out of town, and it says the master returned, and he called his servants to give an account of their asset management, right? He's, he's following them up. You're, I want you to give an account for how you have managed the assets that I've trusted to you. So you understand this? What the master's really doing, he's providing uh, accountability, and he's wanting a report on the return on the investment that he's made with them. So you understand this? Accountability. Uh, I remember... When I was working in, in secular jobs, they talked about smart goals, and they had to be specific and measurable and achievable, uh, realistic and timetabled, right? And you had, to be able, you had to be able to measure stuff. Anytime you have a goal, it has to be measurable, right? I mean, if a person wants to lose weight, you've got to step on the scales uh, at, at, at when you start and step on it at different points throughout. And what are you doing? The scale's holding you accountable. It's telling you, it's telling you what your results are. If you're going to the gym and you're trying to get stronger, right, what's, what, how, what's the metric that you determine are you getting stronger? Can you put more weight on the bar? Can you push weight a month from now that you couldn't push then? Or something that you can only push 10 reps, can you push it 13 or 14 reps in a month, right? So, uh, and so, uh, Numbers keep you accountable, right? They, numbers don't lie, right? And they and they uh, and they are a good way for you to to for your accountability, your productivity to be measured, right? So the first and the second servant, 
Uh, both come back. The one that got uh, 10, he goes, here's 10 more. The other one said, you gave me five, here's five more. Notice both of them gave a 100% return. It's a 100% return. They say, well, if they, if they could both get 100% return, why didn't they give it to the, why didn't the one with five get 10 too, right? But again, it goes back to the master knew the ability and knew that maybe with five, he can get 100% return, but maybe if I go six, it drops off to an 85%. So again, it's the master knows the ability uh, of the servants, right? But they both give a 100% increase. Now, we don't know exactly how long the master was gone. Was he gone a year? Was he gone two years? Was he gone 10 years? We don't know, we don't know what the, an, the annual percentage rate was, but uh, how many of y'all that have a, have a 401k or any investment you'd like to see a 100% return, right? I mean, especially if you get, I mean, that's pretty good, right? So uh, you'd keep, you know, you'd uh, you'd, let, you'd share that information with other people in church too, right? <laughs> Your financial advisor, right? So then the third servant came, and begins to make excuses for his non-productivity. And if you go back and you read it, so he's basically blaming the master for his lack of performance. Well, I knew you, and I just knew you're a hard person. I knew that nothing I could do was ever going to make you happy, blah, 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 right? So I just didn't do nothing. I just went and dug a hole in the ground, and I, st and I stuck what you gave me in the ground. Here, here's what's yours. You ought to be happy with that. I didn't lose anything. And we laugh about that because when we think about it in this context, we realize how ridiculous it is, but do we realize how many believers live their life that way? That God, God entrusts us with assets that we'll talk about a little bit later, right? And then we live our whole life, and then one day we're going we're gonna to stand before him, and we're going to have a count, because hopefully you're realizing Jesus didn't just, this wasn't just a made-up story that Jesus made up just to entertain people. He's telling you how the kingdom works, and he's telling you something that's going to happen in the future. It's something that's going to happen in the future for believers, right? So he said, I took your, uh, your investment, and I put it into the, into the ground. And this is something to, to notice about that. In other words, he's telling the master, I put your investment, that which was valuable to you, that was entrusted to my care, I took it and I put it in something that would never produce a return on investment. Had no chance. Yeah, has anybody in here ever buried money in, a, in a, a mason jar out in your backyard and dug it up a year later and there's more in it than what you put in? Nope. That ain't going to happen, Right. I don't care if it's the Legend of Woolly Swamp. Some of y'all get that uh, reference, right, about the old man. Remember the song, Legend of Woolly Swamp? Come on now, Luke. I thought she was a country music. Charlie Daniels, the Legend of Woolly Swamp. Dude hid his money out in the swamp in, in, in cannon jars. Anyway, nobody's ever buried money in the ground and dug it up later, and it produced. So what the servant's really telling the master is, is, is that I took it and I put it, I took what you gave me and put it someplace where it was never going to increase. And we want to make sure that we don't live our lives that way because the master didn't have a whole lot of good things to say about that servant. He said, said, the master answered and called the servant wicked and lazy. Wicked means full of labors and annoyances. Full of labors and annoyances causing pain and troubles of bad nature, wicked. Called him lazy. Lazy means sluggish, slothful, and backwards. And then the master said, master said, you could have at least put my money in the bank so it could have accumulated interest. What's, what do savings accounts pay now? Like half a percent? Is it even that much? I mean, I had, I had family members that for years planned their retirement that they were going to, they, they were super low risk people that they just saved money like in $25,000 and $30,000 chunks and they stuck it in CDs when CDs were paying 
back in the late 80s and 90s paying what 4%, 4%. And their plan was, you know, with their with their social security, their savings, then what they had coming in off of uh, off of those CDs that they were going to be able to have a comfortable retirement. Now CDs don't pay nothing, right? Anyway, um, so this, uh, the servant, uh, the, master, the master called him wicked. He said, you could have put it, at least put it in the bank. At least I could have got that. I mean, at least I could have got, you know, a half a percentage point, but nothing because you put it in something that had no hope of ever producing any, uh, not, there never being any return on the investment. Stuck it in the ground, right? So the master took the talent and he, uh, he took the talent from the servant and gave it to the one who, uh, who had been given 10. And then, he, then, then this statement is made. Now, a lot of people, you got to get, you have to get, if, if your thinking has been contaminated with American snowflake participation trophy uh, generation thinking, you're going to read this and you're going to think that God is not, a, 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 the, that God and this master's mean. Oh, that master's just mean. I would just, you know, I would just go and I'd file, a, I'd go to HR and file a complaint on him for doing this. <laughs> Y'all, I had to step back out into secular employment um, about uh, six years ago for a while, and I had been in ministry full-time for about 10, or, 10 years or so, and when I went back into the workforce, I was shocked because they were sending managers to places and they were being trained because they were encouraging them to set up crying rooms in the facilities so that when the managers got a little too hard with the little darlings, with the little snowflake darlings, little participation trophy generation people, and their little feelings got hurt, that they could go someplace in private and sit and cry so they didn't have the humiliation of showing everybody how weak and whiny they were. I, I'm just saying, I was in shock, right? Um, so you'll think that God is mean, right? I can just tell you, so like my oldest son, Clay, uh, you know, he's been in sports ever since he was a, uh, just a little bitty guy. You know, when we still lived in Valdosta, he was doing t-ball, and I remember the first year he played soccer down here, you know, we were one of those soccer leagues, and I think his team stunk that year. I mean, now, Clay, Clay was really good at soccer, and then he decided, had this epiphany about four years ago, he wanted to play football. But when he played soccer, I mean, when he was little, he was on a travel team, and the coaches were saying, if he just progresses as he normally should from here, he said, he'll, he'll scholarship in soccer, easy. And so, but the first year he played, his team was sorry. Man, they were bad. It was bad. And so we played the whole season, and he got his little little medal. You know, everybody, yay, yay, everybody gets a medal, right? And so he gets in the truck. He's in the back seat of my truck, and he's just looking at it. And I'm driving down the road, and I look back. I see him looking at it. And I go, "What do you think of that?" He goes, "That's pretty cool, Dad." I said, "Yeah, you know, that don't mean anything." <laughs> he went, "What?" I said, "How many games y'all win?" He goes, "None." I said, so your team's a bunch of losers. <laughs> and I see some of y'all thinking I'm mean. Right? Oh, my gosh, he just told his son his team was a bunch of losers. I said, yeah, y'all didn't win any games. I said, they just gave you that little medal so y'all wouldn't cry and pitch a fit and, and feel bad about yourself. I said, but you need to realize, I said, losing stinks. Losing stinks. And until you feel the sting of losing and the, you know, remember the old, uh, Olymp the old uh, ABC Sports? This is going way back. Some they say they talk about the, the agony of defeat. And you remember the guys coming down the ski slopes just wiping out all over. That dude know, knew the agony. Till you know the agony of defeat, you'll never know the thrill of victory. That's a, that's a whole other sermon right there. Till you know, until you've experienced the agony of defeat, you'll never, experience, you'll never appreciate the, thr the thrill of victory. But yeah, I told him, I said, yeah, that trophy don't mean nothing. They gave everybody that. I said, I said, 
I said, yeah, a little fat kid that couldn't even run a half a lap around the field, you know, in practice. I said, he got one too, and that's right, okay. Mean Pastor Brian, mean, you're mean, you're mean, right? Okay, but I let him know that don't mean nothing, and don't get to feeling good about being a loser, because it will condition you to complacency, and it'll do it spiritually to you, right? So anyway, back to the notes. The, the mean old master says, for to everyone who has, more will be uh, given. Well, that just don't sound fair. They already got some. You know, it's like getting a little current event. Elon Musk drops $44 billion to buy Twitter and people busting on him. Why didn't you use that money to do something for charity? Talk to the people he gave the money to. Maybe they'll do something with it, right? Just saying, right? That just doesn't sound fair. You've got, you've got so much, right? Anyway, it says, everyone who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance, but he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Now, that sounds mean. And I was praying, and I was looking at that, and I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with this on myself, uh, looking at it and praying, Lord, you know, what's it, what exactly does that mean? And then as I begin to study today, right, and Randy might go, well, duh, you know, because... If I, when I say, but it was a revelation to me. If you'll read it this way, for everyone who has increase, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But he who does not have increase, even what he has will be taken away. Because that's the context of what the master's talking about. Not just talking about, oh, well, I'm going to take your stuff. You know, I'm going to take your money and go home. It's like, no, it was trusted to you. This, this one was given something, and they made increase with it, so I'm giving them more. And y'all, we can, we can get all upset, and people can think, that just sounds mean, and God's so mean, that's so harsh. I'm going to tell you what, everybody in here has got a 401k. You'd do that with your own investors. If you had, if you had a couple of different uh, Roth IRAs or something like that, and you had one that was making 14% annually and another that was making 3 you'd move your money the first time you got that, uh, that financial report. And don't pretend you wouldn't, right? Why? Because you're interested in a return on investment. And so was this master, and, and, we'll, and we'll talk about some more. So he said, so the master, this is the thing. The master, it was his to do with as he pleased. He wanted the greatest return on investment, so he gave it to the one with the greatest uh, earning potential. The one that he is going to get the greatest return on, right? So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. I want to read this. is the same. This is what the, the Bible calls a parallel passage. And it, uh, it words some things a little bit different. Now, I'll just give you this little nugget. Some of y'all may never thought about this, but, but I have to think about this because of the classes I teach and, and stuff I think about. Biblical critics that go, oh, well, you know, how come it says this in one place and it says this in another? Obviously, somebody, you know, heard something a little bit different. And I, was, and I never will forget, I was teaching eighth grade history of the New Testament. And, uh, and uh, what, was, what was Jesus technically during his ministry? He's a traveling teacher. And so the people that want to be critical of saying, oh, well, it says it this way one place and it says it that way another place. Do you think that maybe Jesus taught these things more than one time? Wow, that, that's a revelation, ain't it? Uh, Dave Gillespie, are you ever, you know... Um, Oh, shoot. Mike. Mike Manuel. You reckon he's preached the same sermon more than one time? Absolutely, right? Anybody in here, Reverend, anybody in here knows any traveling ministers, you know they don't preach that thing one time and go, boy, that was good. Well, let's throw it in the dustbin. 
Right? They're going to they're gonna wear that thing out. Right? They're going to preach that thing till they're almost kicking a dead horse. It's like, dude, you've been preaching the same thing for two years. You need to, do, need to make another message, right? Anyway, Jesus was a traveling teacher. So he taught this, this same lesson probably in every little town he went to. And I'm going to tell you what. If you've, heard it, if you've heard anybody teach, they can use the same notes, have the same point, but the story changed a little bit. Brother Hagen, you know, a lot of y'all may not even know who he was, but Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, who was, uh, you know, uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor, Pastor Kenneth Hagen's uh, father, uh, you know, listened to so many of his teachings. And you'd hear the same story, and he could tell the same story literally a hundred times and give you a different detail, something he didn't mention in another one. So, so, so anyway, some of y'all may never even had that thought, but those of you who do, just know Jesus didn't just teach this subject one time. He was a traveling minister. Right? He's a traveling uh, teacher. So this, te- this tells us a little bit different, gives us a little more information, a little different uh, angle than what the Matthew account did. So Luke... Uh, 19, uh, starting with verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And therefore, he said, a certain nobleman. So we find out in Matthew's account, it was the master that had servants, but in Luke's account, we find out it's a nobleman, somebody of royal birth, right? Um, So a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. Now, the Matthew account just says he went on a journey. Luke's, te- Luke's account says he's going to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Does that sound like anybody else that we know? Do we have a little clue what Jesus is talking about here? It says, so he called 10 of his servants and delivered them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. I believe the King James Version says, occupy till I, till I come. And it says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money. What did he give them? He gave them money just for log this. And you remember, what's the currency of the kingdom? Faith and, and, and currency is money. Just see law. Pause and think about that, right? And then we'll move on. So he, he gave them money. Um, and, and to be, so he, gave, he had given them money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. Now here's another one of the differences, right? What is this? This is a thousand percent increase? I mean, if, it's, if you're talking, if you had a hundred and you double it, that's 200, and you get an, uh, another 100. If you do that 10 times, you know, tenfold, if I'm not mistaken, that'd be 1,000%. So it's a higher percent that we're talking here, right? Um, anyway, says, he said, uh, it's earned 10. And he said to him, well done, uh, good servant, because you were faithful with very little. Uh, listen to this, I'll just say, have authority over 10 cities. Being a little more specific here, right? And to the second, the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I've kept and put away in a handkerchief. Wasn't I a great boy? Like he wants an attaboy because you wrapped it up in a handkerchief and set it and, and hit it. It lined up for your attaboy, right? I want my participation trophy, Jesus, right? Um, for I feared you because you're an austere man. You collect... Uh, what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow, 
And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas, right? That's the participation trophy crowd. Jesus, that's not fair. You're taking these, but he's got 10 already, right? Yeah, he earned them, right? For I say to you that everyone who has uh, will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And then this little line here says, uh, bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. That's, that's a different sermon too, right? That's a different sermon too. Not sweet little Jesus. Yeah, sweet little Jesus, right? Um, so in this account, we're told the master is a nobleman and that the reason for his journey is to receive a kingdom and then to, for, for himself and then return. We also see in this account, the nobleman tells his servants specifically what to do with the assets entrusted to them. Says, do business till I come. Take the capital that I have given you and invest in trade and business till I come back. And the expectation was there should be increase. There should be increase. Um, so after receiving the kingdom, the nobleman or master returns as the returning king. Aren't you glad you serve a returning king? That when Jesus came, he was the suffering servant, but he's coming back as the returning king. Amen. When he returns as king and calls his servants whom he had given the money, that is the currency of the kingdom, right? and that's likened to the currency of the kingdom, faith. Um, so you have, we ask ourselves, what are we doing with our faith? What, what are we doing with the investment that God's made to us? Uh, he, he wanted to know how much they had gained by trading, and he, in, he expected increase. So the first two servants report to the king of their increase they had made, and one had increased his, uh, the one to ten, the second had one and gained five more. And so the master, the king's response was, well done, to, uh, the one who gained 10 will have authority over 10 cities and the one who gained five will have authority over five cities. And again, Pastor Earl has ministered on this before, right? But when we start talking about eschatology and we start talking about end times, we start talking about the millennial reign, you know that the, your Bible teaches you that Jesus Christ is gonna come back to this earth and he's gonna rule and reign for a thousand years and the Bible says that we shall rule and reign with him. And Jesus is telling you, this is how the government of heaven works, that when the master comes back, when the king comes back, and he evaluates the productivity of the servants, that the reward, one of the rewards is going to be, you're going to be given authority over cities. It's, go, it's, going, to be this, it's going to be this world that the thousand-year reign is on. And you, and you go read your Bible. If you're getting hung up on it, if your brain's going tilt, 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 I've never heard it. Go read the Bible. It says, it says it in there. And then, and then after that, you know, the devil is released from the bottomless pit for a season. Uh, he goes out to make war against uh, Christ and, and, and his armies. And fire comes down from God out of heaven and destroys him. And then you begin to read the whole story about, and I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. And, and he saw the new Jerusalem descent coming down from God out of heaven to the new earth, right? Um, and he saw that. So, but there's a, a point here that at some point, that the king returns, he evaluates the productivity of his servants, and that part of the reward is authority to rule over cities under, under, his, under his authority, right? Anyway, so the third servant reports and told the king, I was afraid of you because you're austere, and austere means harsh, rough, or rigid. The king basically said, you can have what you say. He said, I'm gonna okay, I'm going to judge you according to your own words. That's what you think of me. That's how, that's how, that's how I'm going to come back at you, right? So, uh, so, 
then, and then we see where the king calls for his enemies who did not want uh, him to reign over them and order them put to death. And again, that talks of there will come a day when people, you know, Pastor Earl has, has said this plenty of times that God will give people what they want. If you do not want to submit to the rulership of Jesus Christ, then you are choosing to be separated from you. are choosing uh, eternal death to be separated from people. Uh, to be separated from God because you don't want to submit to him. So, so when we look at these parables, just want to ask you some questions, make sure we're all interpreting these correctly, right? So in the parable, who does the master or the nobleman represent? Jesus. Jesus, right? In the parable, who do the servants represent? Believers, us, the church, in, individual believers, right? So, so Jesus is telling us that uh, the kingdom of heaven, God gives assets to his servants and that one day we will appear to him and give an account of our management of those assets. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about, let's look at that principle, right? Uh, it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 11. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. He's, and he's, he's talking about our body. Right, We have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, uh, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. He said, he said, our body's groaning. He says, it's not that we want to die. It's not that we're, oh, I just wish I could die. That, that's not it. It's your, there's a, lo- a, a groaning and a longing for the glory that's yet to be revealed, right? That we're going to be clothed in. He says, um, now, now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, uh, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee, All right, this is, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well uh, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust that we're well known to your consciences. Now, just want to give you like, you know, at eschatology 101, end times 101. As far as judgment goes for the believers, you understand? In the Bible, there's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment. They're not the same thing. Believers and unbelievers will not stand before God. The the believers will not stand with the unrighteous in judgment for God. There are two different judgments, and really, as we'll see when I begin to talk about a little more and explain it, the judgment seat of Christ really isn't, it's not him going, well, are you in or are you out, right? That got decided the day you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life and you were born again and you became a child of God, all right? So that, that judgment is not whether you're getting into heaven or not. It's, it's different, right? And the great white throne judgment is for those who have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. It's going to be real short. Everybody's going to be there. They're going to take a knee, and they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all because the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And then they'll hear, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, and they'll be cast out. So we're not talking about that. What, what I'm talking about, if you'll, you study your Bible, 
after the catching away of the church, uh, the church is taken to heaven to, to be with Jesus for a seven-year period. There's a seven-year period that's going to play out uh, on the earth uh, that, the, that, the, uh, uh, that there's going to be the reign of the Antichrist, there's going to, the outpouring of the wrath of God is going to take place. And during that time, the church is in heaven for the judgment seat of Christ and for the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right? So, so what we're talking about is when the believers are caught away, we stand before God. And really what's going on at that point is, is exactly what we just read in these two parables. It is the servants being called to come before the master, to come before the king, and give an account of what did you do with the investment that I gave you. And so that's what's going to happen. So uh, God has given us, now this is when it says God's given us the spirit as a guarantee. Uh, the, that word guarantee, if you look it up in the Greek, it actually means earnest money, money in purchases given as a pledge or down payment that the full amount will be subsequently paid. So God has given us faith, right? Because we talked about in the one parable in the Luke account, said that he had given them money. And we said that money is currency and that faith is the currency of the kingdom. And then God's also, besides just faith, and, and how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the, the investment he's made is his word. And here we see the other investment he's made is his spirit. He's made the doubt, this, this Holy Spirit is the down payment, the earnest money for what he's going he's to pay in full when we join him, whether it's by death or whether by catching away, right? So when we want to begin to break down this parable and look at it, the, the assets, the investment capital that God has given to us is his word and his spirit. Amen? So... Um, so in so 1 Corinthians 6 20, just uh, when you look here, 1 Corinthians 6 20 says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay? And if you read this, you go back and read this, the immediate context of this scripture is pertaining to sexual purity. Uh, but the, the, the principle is applicable to all we do in the body, that, that we've been bought with a price. Therefore, what we do in the earth, in our body, should be something that glorifies God, right? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive reward for those things done in the body, whether good or bad. Um, whether, whether it's good or worthless, and that's the things we've done on earth uh, in our bodies, right? So, um, and so just want to say this. Um, let me see. Let me back up. So then we go Romans 14, 12 says, says that we shall each give an account of ourselves to God. So what I'm trying to do is to, to demonstrate to you is that the parables we read is exactly what's going to happen to the believers, that we're given, we are giving an, an, an asset, we're given uh, uh, assets to manage by our master, by the king, and that at some point when he returns, we will stand before him and give an account what we did with what was entrusted to us, right? We shall all give an account. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. And this gives us a little more detail. What, what's that judgment going to be? When we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, appearing before the judgment seat, what's that going to be like? 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15, for, uh, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Uh, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Right. And so when you're talking about building, right, 
We've got a lot of folks in here that do construction, have construction. Buildings work, right? So it's, it's work. What are you doing? With, and building requires materials, right? So we're still talking about the same kind of thing here. It says, according to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. What day? The day of judgment, the day that we stand before the master to give the account. Um, For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on endures, Um, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet uh, through fire. So this passage is talking about the day that we as believers will give an account for the work that we did on earth. It's not the lost and the saved together. It is the church. Uh, We appear before Jesus. And when I I was teaching this in eschatology and I studied this out, what I could see when I studied was um, it is not God's intention that any of his children are shamed. Right? I, I still remember a teaching that Pastor Angie did years ago talk about, you know, when the, the, this is the, the principle of uh, bringing correction, reproving and bringing correction in private and praising publicly, right? And so God, it's not his intention. Could you imagine how, how embarrassing that would be? All the Christians of all the ages, all the Old Testament saints, if they're standing before God, millions, maybe billions of people stand before Jesus. Glory to God. I hope it goes alphabetical order. A, Adkins, Adkins. Oh, thank you, Lord. I don't have to stand in line. Glad my last name's not Zimmerman. Sorry, bud. Stinks to be you, right? I mean, um, that would be bad, right? But could you imagine how embarrassing it would be if, you were, if, if, if Jesus was just airing out your dirty laundry in front of everybody? For, uh, that's ever, every believer that's ever lived in the history world, and then you've got to live through eternity like that? There's a, there's a uh, young boy, when I was going to the little Free Will Baptist Church, I grew up in West Virginia. Our pastor, uh, uh, Gillum Harris, I love the guy. He's such a great guy. He, he worked at Ashland Oil Refinery, and then, he, and then he pastored too because our little church wasn't big enough to support, uh, support past, the pastor financially. And every year he would take one of his vac- uh, weeks of vacation. How many of y'all, do you treat that week of vacation like it's gold, right? Oh, that's sacrosanct. That's gold. That's, I mean, that's, that's the best thing, right? Going. He would take one of his weeks of vacation, and he would take all the, the teenage boys in the church camping over at Greenbow Lake in Grayson, Kentucky. He, he, I mean, he would take a whole week of his vacation and invest in us. And there was this one uh, boy that went, that he lived up a holler in a shack out the ridge from where I grew up. You know, my house, I was highfalutin. My house was the last one on the pavement. It was dirt road past my driveway. Uh, <laughs> right? And he lived up a holler in a shack, and his family was so poor they couldn't pay attention, and they didn't have snack foods, right? You know, he couldn't afford to have a love affair with a little Debbie, right? Because, you know, they didn't have money for snack cakes back then. And our pastor took us camping, and he, uh, he said, now, boys... He said, I mean, and it was like it was like a teenage boy junk food smorgasbord. It's like there's Doritos, there's Cheetos, there's Hershey bars, there's little Debbie cakes. You're like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, glory to God, you know. And so this boy, I mean, his eyes are so big, it's like, that's a family size bag of Cheetos. Oh my gosh, you know. So the, but the pastor said, don't take any of it into the tent. Well, the, Everybody knows teenage boys follow your instructions to the T, right? I mean, they never, they never do anything they're not told. So this guy, his name was Ronnie. 
he decided he Cheetos were, I mean, they were a rare treat. So he decided I got to have that whole bag, that family size bag of Cheetos all for myself. So he took that bag of Cheetos into the tent and he put it underneath his pillow. And about two thirty in the morning, he woke up with something furry brushing over his nose and woke up and there's a skunk standing straddle his face eating Cheetos out the bag that he's pulled out from underneath his pillow. And he begins to, and everybody else in the tent wakes up and like, oh, 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 skunk, I'm out, I'm out of here, man. Not Ronnie. Ronnie, man, he waxed bold. His spirit of boldness come upon him, or spirit of stupidity won, and he decided he's going to fight that skunk for those Cheetos. Mm-hmm. You can imagine how that went. That skunk turned around, let him have it with both barrels, and we, the next day, Ron, the next morning, Ronnie's bathing in the creek, uh, squirting ketchup all over him because he's heard that tomato takes that, and we're burning his clothes, and he's like walking around in a loincloth, basically, the rest of the camping trip. So, fast forward, that was, I'm, I'm going to be 51 next week. So that was, yeah, praise the Lord. I got my own story about making it further than my dad. My dad was 50 when he died. There's a testimony there too, right? Um, so this was when he was maybe 15. So we're talking 35 years ago. So what you can imagine the nicknames we had for him the rest of that camping trip, right? Skunky, 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 Skunky Ronnie, Skunky Ronnie. His name was Skunky. The rest of the time, nobody called him by his, his first name anymore. That's over 35 years ago. If you go back to Wayne County and ask for Ronnie, last name, nobody knows who he is. But if you say Skunky, oh, yeah, Skunky. He lives up there. Yeah, yeah, they know who Skunky is. Now, I said all that to say this. Could you imagine how, now, now he's going to die eventually, and they'll probably put Skunky on his tombstone, right? I mean, probably, right? But could you imagine if Jesus was airing out your laundry and something like that came out? That'd be hard to live down for eternity. Yeah, hey, Skunky Atkins over there, right? You know what I mean? For eternity being called that. That's not the purpose. When I studied out, it is Jesus taking us aside privately and having this conversation because it's not his purpose to humiliate his children. So when we go through this judgment, it's not God. God's not going to be airing your dirty laundry before everybody. It's a conversation that a loving father is going to have with you about what did you do uh, with what I gave you, right? So um, this passage also lists six materials that the believers could build upon the foundation of, of Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble and straw. So the first three are valuable and the second three are cheap. The first three are able to endure the fire. The second three cannot endure the fire, right? The fire is symbolic of, fire is symbolic of many things in the Bible. It represents the presence of God. It represents the power of God. It represents the Holy Spirit. But fire also represents the judgment of God. So what's going on here is when we, have, when we stand before our master, the king, and he takes us aside of the judgment seat of Christ to look at what we've done with our life, with, what, with the assets he entrusted to us, the, 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 the fire of God's going to come out, the judgment of God's going to come out. And it's like, I mean, just imagine like you're, I can just, in my mind, I picture somebody like carrying like this, you know, big platter with all this stuff on it that they think is important to them and setting it down before them. And then the fire of God coming out and like just burning, burning a bunch of stuff up. Because I would wager to say, I mean, I'm just saying, right? I mean, I just don't figure that anybody's going to show up and everything on your plate's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Okay? And that's not, that doesn't mean you're morally uh, 
morally inferior, right? Just means there's just there are some things in our life that, that we do that really, and that are not kingdom priorities, that we probably spend too much time on. And and you go to read the rest of this, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation, right? It just means that it's an evaluation of of what you've done, right? So. Um, so the fire, the fire uh, represents a judgment of God concerning the value of the things that we did during our life on earth. So things built out of gold, silver, and precious gems are the things that God has assigned great value to. And the things that are made of wood, hay, and straw represent the things that man esteems as valuable, but are not of eternal or kingdom value to God. So the fire of God will touch everybody's work, and the wood, hay, and the straw will be burned up, and the gold, silver, and precious jewels will remain and our reward will be based on the things that remain. Uh, what remains after the judgment fire of God is the return on investment of our lives. And our reward will be based on those things that remain. <clears throat> it says, the trial by fire reveals the quality of the work of the individual, which is also affected by the motive of the heart. Was it done to give God glory or to, glory, to gain glory for self? Because sometimes people can do the right thing for the wrong reason for self-aggrandizement, right? Just to make their self look good, even though what they're doing is right, the heart motive is wrong. And so the, the, the fire of God is even going to reveal that. And so I had this uh, quote from uh, Dr. Dwight Pentecost. Glory to God, wouldn't you like to be in the ministry and your last name be Pentecost? I mean, about the only way to get better be God Almighty is your last name. What's your, what's your last name? It's John God Almighty. What? But Dwight Pente Dr. Dwight Pentecost in, thing, in a book called uh, Things to Come wrote, Thus, the judgment is not to determine what is ethically good or evil, but rather that which is acceptable and that which is worthless. It is not the Lord's purpose here to chasten his child for his sins, but to reward him for service for those things done in the name of the Lord or for the kingdom, right? So this is the, this is the judgment at which uh, believers' works will be judged and they'll be uh, rewarded. And if you look at it in the Greek, it's the bema seat. And I'm, I'm a real observant person. I, just, I remember when I first read that in the Bible. Do you know that I thought Bema seat was a toilet seat before I knew it was something in the Bible? Have you all seen that? I'm serious. Have you seen it? There is a brand. I mean, I notice stuff. I'm observant. Like, you know, I go in, checking it out. I'm a people watcher. I watch stuff. And there is actually a brand of, there's a brand of toilet seat called church seats. And there's one called a Bema, Bema seat. And it's the same thing. I just, anyway, I thought it was interesting. Anyway, the interesting thing about the Bema seat, though, that judgment seat, from what, I've, from what I've read and studied on it, it's different than the judgment seat of a judge in a court. That it's actually the seat of the judge of the Olympic Games would set in. And so, and if you'll study, I don't have time to talk about it now, but if you study it out, the Bible talks about there are five crowns specifically that the Bible says believers can, can earn as a reward in this life. And they're not crowns like, uh, a king's royal crown, but it's, it was like the victor's crown uh, competing in the games. And that's really kind of what this judgment is. Uh, but this, the only thing is you're, not, you're competing against yourself. You're not competing against other people, right? All right. So, um, but anyway, there will be a reward. Revelations 22, 12, Jesus said, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Boy, that blows some people's uh, theology about it ain't about, out, it ain't about works, right? Finish the rest of the sentence. It's not of works of the law. 
It's, it's amazing how many people just don't read the Bible in context. We are not, we're not saved by the works of the law, and any of your works don't save you, but God is definitely about works, and he's going to judge us, and our reward is going to be based on our works. And again, the snowflake generation don't like to hear that, but you're going to tell me somebody that got saved uh, and sat on a pew for 50 years and then, and then uh, died, never lifted a finger to do anything to advance God's kingdom, going to get the exact same reward that the apostle Paul did that poured his life out, endured beatings and shipwreck and everything that he did. You, th- you honestly think that God's going to be that unjust? You must think God's the snowflake king if you think he's going <laughs> to pass it out like that, right? Anyway, 2 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So, so coming to the end of this thing, I want to take a look at So what do you need to do to do business until the king comes? What specifically do we do, right? Here's, this is going to be real spiritual deep right here. Here, here it comes. You know, you're going to think this is a softball pitch across home, uh, the plate right here, right? Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And it's in the context of don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to sleep, you know, the, your earthly possessions. He's saying seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. And, you know, and that's real Oh, hallelujah. But still, how do you break that down? What's the practical application? How do you practically seek first the kingdom of God? The word seek means to seek in order to find. Now you think, well, duh. But you know, there's some people spend their whole life looking for stuff and they don't want to find and they don't want to find it. Remember when we were pastoring in Valdosta that there was a, a lady that came to the church and she needed healing bad, emotional healing bad. She had been, she had been abused. She had been the victim of sexual, sexual abuse and stuff like that, repeated multiple occasions by different people. And she needed healing bad. You know, and this woman, she, she was in her 40s then. You know, she's in her 40s, and she needs healing. And, I mean, she, I, know, she, I know churches she's been to. I knew ministers that she, she had sat under their ministry and knew there was the opportunity for healing there. And, I, and, and me and Cheyenne had spent lots of time uh, one-on-one talking to her, trying to, to, to get her, you know, just for it to click and for her to receive healing for, that, for the pain of her past. And then finally, I was praying one day, and the Lord just told me, said, she's scared to receive healing because if she gets, she's embraced that hurt and made the pain her identity. And if she ever gets healing, she'll lose her identity because she doesn't know who she is in Christ. So her whole life, up into her 40s, she's, she's looking for something, but she's not looking for something to actually find it. She's just looking for it for the nobility of seeking for something, right? She's not actually, so because when it's there and staring you in the face that you say you're looking for, you just, you move on, right? And she, and she was a serial church hopper, right? I mean, we still loved her, did what we could, right? But when it got real, when God, I've said this before, when God wanted, you ever had a little kid that hurt theirself? Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Okay. And you're like, let me see it. Let me see it. Oh, owie, owie, owie. And they won't let you touch their owie. There's people in the church that are hurt and God wants to touch your owie, but you're too busy grabbing it saying, oh, don't look at my, don't touch my owie. When God's like, I want to see your owie so I can heal your owie. <clears throat> so anyway, seek in order to find, to require to demand, to crave, all right, is is if we're to seek, we're to do those things for the kingdom of God. Real quick and easy right here, three things you can do to to help you crave and seek first the kingdom. You know, these are spiritual deep. 
read your Bible, pray, and be planted in a church that teaches the word. You do those three things, that will equip you to do the seeking for the kingdom, right? But seek. So if, and if you're going to do business the right way, there shouldn't be anything that we want more than to advance the kingdom of God and God's righteousness or right standing, right? So, so we say this, no relationship, no career, no preference of location where you live. If you're seriously seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, this is radical. We, in America, we have the church of America, generally speaking, the church of America has did such a disservice to the gospel. Well, you know, just ask Jesus into your darling little heart. And and when you die, you get a participation trophy. Is that not the American gospel? And I keep going back to David when, when David wanted to buy the threshing floor where the temple was going to be built and, and the man says, I'll just give it to you, your highness. And David's like, I won't give anything to God that didn't cost me something. But we got a whole gen- we've got generation after generation of believers that thinks they can give something to God that didn't cost them nothing. He, Jesus gave everything for you. Think about how, how selfish is that? Think about how selfish it is that I want a a Savior who gave everything, who poured everything out for me, but I don't owe him nothing. You go get a a marriage relationship like that and see how long it lasts and how prosperous it is. But no no relationship, right? I know when, when I went to Ramah, when I was going to Ramah, you know, lots of people talked about Ramah, and it was sunshine and lollipops, and a unicorn, a winged unicorn landed on their windowsill every morning and woke them up, and, you know, hey, welcome to the world. We're so glad you're here, right? That wasn't the case for me. When I went to, when I went to Ramah, a week before, I, when I went, was leaving to go to Bible college, for, you know, pursuing the will of God for my life, about a week or two before I went, my parents got divorced after 28 years of marriage. Now, I was, you know, I was out of the house, but that was still devastating because home just got broken, wasn't there anymore. My mom and dad went through a divorce, and then uh, roughly about 12 months later, I went through a divorce. I was married to the pastor's daughter of the little church I grew up in, and I went through a divorce. And then one month before I graduated Raymond, my dad committed suicide. And I had to fly back, and, and, and as an only child, fly back and, and preach his funeral. And... You know, it, it, it costs something. And, and, and when I was there, I went back for my second year. You know, there's a whole story there. Went back for my second year, and, you know, and I wanted to be married. I didn't want to be single. And I began to pray and ask God. And I said, God, I want a woman that loves you more than she could ever love me. Because if, if, if she's got that, you know, she's going to wake up some morning, my breath's going to be coming across the pillow in chunks, and she she's going to lose that loving feeling. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I think I told this story before, you know, when me and Cheyenne, like the first month or so that we got married, um, over on her nightstand, I was going through her nightstand for something one morning, and I found out she had this little lip-shaped metal tin that had little lip-shaped breath mints in it. And I thought, oh, that is so sweet. She wants to have breath mints in her nightstand so when she wakes up in the morning that she can get one to have fresh breath when she's talking to me. That's awesome. Awesome. What a great woman. So the next morning we woke up, and I leaned over, and I said, good morning, sweetheart. You know? And the halitosis is just a-rolling. And she went, put her finger up. She rolls over to her nightstand, opens a little can, gets a breath mint, and hands it to me. And I went, I was completely, I completely, completely misinterpreted her intentions on that. Those breath mints were for me, not for her, right? Because 
she wakes up and her breath smells like, you know, peppermint candy or something like that, right? Anyway, I think they were for both of us, right? They were, they were for both of us. Um, but no relationship, right? Um, there's no relationship takes place o- over the priority of the kingdom. And I know that she loves God more than she loves me. And if she does that, then I can trust my heart with her because she's already got the number one priority, but no relationship. You know what? No career. Pastor Earl has shared the story, and it's a powerful story about a guy that he knew the church, that I believe he was in the Navy, and he had the opportunity to take a promotion in Washington, D.C. He, he didn't have to take it. It was a job opportunity, and he took it without any regard of whether or not there was a good word-teaching church that he was going to go and connect with, right? And the guy married, had kids. Guy take, take, transfers, takes the job, and it's maybe a year or so later, Pastor Earl said that he met the wife or one of them, and they're divorced. Moved up there, chasing a career, got out of God's will, uh, gave, uh, gave an open door to the enemy, and their family is destroyed. You know, you, you, if you're a believer and you're serious about your relationship with God, you don't just uh, go move someplace to climb the ladder. Because you realize there are things that are more important than, than just climbing, climbing the corporate ladder, right? It's so funny, you know... Um, you know, again, I just share this as an example that, that I have, you know, when I was working, you know, back out in the secular job that I had, um, you know, uh, you had, you know, the, the COVID thing came up and, and things started tightening up in the economy, but I had been with that company. And I mean, I was getting promoted quickly and making pretty good money, best money I ever made in my life, right? And my wife said, amen, right? Okay. And then two years ago, Pastor Earl said, said Pastor Brian said, I, I believe I've got a way to, to get you back in the door, but it's gonna ha- I'm going to have to have you heavily over in the Washington side on the school side. I was like, well, praise the Lord. And he said, and this is what it pays. And I was like, well, praise, <clears throat> praise the Lord. <laughs> right? And my flesh immediately got that, but my spirit was like, yep, that's it. And, and talked to Cheyenne about it. And she's like, absolutely. Right? And so we took a significant cut, but we've not lacked for anything. And God has prospered us, right? But no, no relationship, no career, no preference of where you live. Y'all, I am a slap hill billy. I mean, I grew up in West Virginia, in the mountains of West Virginia, and when I went on vacation, I went to East Tennessee so I could see bigger hills. <laughs> really, true story. Didn't like the beach. Nope. You know, didn't care. What? The honeymoon. Yeah, we went to the mountains on honeymoon. I mean, hey, I mean, I didn't figure we was going to be going outside taking insides too much anyway, right? Silly me. Um, <laughs> anyway... Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole nother story because, like, so a lot of y'all know, like, I have a real pet peeve with fat, naked baby angels. And Matt Hunt blew my office up one time. My, my first office here at the church was the usher closet. True story. True story. The old ticket booth, the usher closet, that was my first office. And I was gone one week, and when I came back, somehow or another, somebody found, it was really odd, a bunch of naked baby dolls someplace. And Matt Hunt cut out cardboard wings and put them all over their backs and then hung them by fishing line in my, in my ticket booth slash office. So when I got back, I opened up the door because he knew I, like, I, I just I have a, I get triggered. That's one thing that does trigger me is fat, naked baby angels. And I opened up my, my office and there's like three or four little fat, naked baby angels hanging around in fishing line. But when we went on our honeymoon, we went to a cabin. The name of the cabin was Sweet Surrender. Sounds perfect, don't it? Yeah, there's 39 fat naked baby angels. That was the, that was the theme. 
that was the theme of the cabin was fat naked baby angels. And over the bed was one of those three picture murals, like three different pictures that all made one picture when you hung them together. And it was all fat naked baby angels in their birthday suit, eagle spread, and they were not in covenant with God. I'm just, that's all the detail I'm going to give you. Anyway, where was I? Location, 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 right? Is that Florida, the location of Florida and the beach had no appeal whatsoever to me. I am country boy. I am hillbilly. I would be happier if it was my personal choice to live there. But guess what? I'm not my own. I don't, you know, I've been bought with a price. And I go where the king says to go. And I do what the king says to do. And so we should do that. So things that you can, so getting real practical about seeking uh, first the kingdom. So how do we do that, right? So first, invest your time in things of kingdom significance. Invest your time, right? Your time, treasure, your talent, right? So we're going to talk about your time. Invest your time in things of kingdom significance. You know what? Entertainment's great. But I am convinced that probably the Church of, of America, we are over-entertained. And can I just meddle? I think it would be, a, somebody's going to get mad. Somebody, put your rocks down. I think it's a real crying shame if we give a magic kingdom more money in a year than what we give our church. Don't shout me down now. I'm just saying. My, my, grandpa, my grandpa went to a Baptist church and read out his mama's Methodist Bible, but he said you could tell uh, how somebody's relationship with God was by looking at their pocketbook. And that's what he called a checkbook, was your pocketbook, right? Anyway, but anyway, your time. Invest your time in things of kingdom significance, right? Psalms 90, 12 in the New Living Translation says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so we may grow in wisdom, right? Life is really short. And remember, your, your works are going to be tried. The things you spend your time on, you're going to stand before God one day and, you know, and like, you know, Unfortunately, you know, how many episodes of My 600-Pound Life you binge-watched is not going to be something that uh, is going to get a whole lot of reward, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I like it. It's, my weight, it's, it's, it's a weight loss motivator for me. I'm like, oh, my God, dude. I'm doing an extra half hour on the treadmill after watching this. I feel fat just watching you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, teach us to realize the brevity of life. Ephesians 5 15 through 16 in the Passion Translation. I love this. This is the first time I, I read this passage in this translation. It says, so be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. We're to spend our, we, we don't belong to self. We're to spend our life, our time. We're spending our time. Teach us to know the brevity of our life. Teach us, Lord, uh, that we are to spend our life for your purposes, right? Um, relationship, spend it on relationships that count. Your spouse, your children, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the lost who are seeking, right? Don't, this is going to say, this again, this is going to make some snowflake thoughts cringe in your mind. Don't waste your time on people who don't want to change. Don't cast, the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. And I, I, like I said, I'll be 51 next month. I was 20 years old when I, when I started preaching under the oversight of my pastor and 21 when I was licensed to preach. So 32 years that I've been in ministry and in 32 years, there's only been one person that the Holy Spirit told me, said, wash your hands of them and do not waste your time with them anymore. 
There was a man that lived up in Coffee County, Georgia, where Cheyenne grew up, and him and his wife, they had a, they had a really horrible marriage, which they never should have been married in the first place. The whole thing started out in adultery, and they got married, but then after they got married, they both went to the altar. They made, you know, they confessed their sin. They made a profession of faith, and we, and we were very outspoken about the relationship when it started, but we became their biggest cheerleaders because we're like, okay, well, it was wrong how it started, but y'all have repented, and now we want to see it succeed because God's, cause, cause it, God's not going to get no glory if the thing falls apart, right? And the man could not be faithful to her, would not speak to her nicely. The only thing that kept him from being physically abusive is because he knew her dad would shoot him in the face. I mean, literally would shoot him in the face. He would. <clears throat> what? And they lived next door. That's the, only th- that's the only thing. I mean, seriously. Like, the dad came in one night and parked his truck, and he heard him yelling and cussing at his daughter, and he went over in the house and just opened the door up and didn't even knock. Because it was his grandfather's, it was his dad's house that he let his daughter live in on their farm. Well, he just walks in while he's in the middle of a cussing tirade with his wife. He goes, I sure would appreciate it if you just knock on the door. And he goes, well, I'm sorry, I'm not in the habit of knocking on the door of houses that I own. And this guy, you know, the dad was in his 70s and, you know, wife beater deluxe was like in his 40s. You know, all five foot five and 300 pounds of him with his shaved little head and acting like a little motorcycle bully. He didn't even have a moped. He thought he's a he thought he's a uh, an outlaw biker and didn't even have a moped. You joke, man. Come on. And he told his father-in-law, he goes, well, maybe I could just call you out in the front yard and whoop you, old man. He goes, oh, you want to call me out in the front yard? Okay, we're going out in the, oh, the front yard. So he's like 40 and 300 pounds, and, and dad's 75, 76 years old and maybe 190. They go walking out in the yard, and dad's walking out there, got his back turned to him, and you know he's taking his shirt off, getting ready to beat the old man up, getting ready to beat the old man up takes his shirt off like that, and then dad turns around and pull, had pulled a little twenty-two Magnum pistol out of it, one of those little bitty ones. It just makes a little hole, right? It's like somebody used to make fun of me if when I carried a twenty-two for self-defense. I said, it's about shot placement. I'll shoot you twice and call it a forty-four, right? <laughs> anyway, he turns around. Dad turns around and sticks that gun right on his forehead. He goes, you sure you want to do this? Because this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to shoot you and say, I'm an old man, and he tried to beat me up. <laughs> I shot him in self-defense, right? Anyway, Bubba, uh, you know, Bubba, their marriage was bad, and Cheyenne and I, like I said, the lady had been a friend of Cheyenne's for a long time, and we really wanted to try to get, get them to get it right. And I mean, it went on for years, for years. And finally, I was, we were, I was praying about it one day, and I told Cheyenne, I said, the, she goes, I said, well, I just prayed about it, and she said, well, what did the Lord tell you? He said, cut him loose and don't ever waste your breath talking to him again. He's a pig, and you're casting your pearl before him. Right? So, know what, there are some relationships, this is a word for somebody, there are some relationships that you need to stop trying to salvage because it wasn't never meant to be in the first place and you need to cut it off and move on with God because that person is an albatross around your neck keeping you from ever fulfilling your potential that God has for you. Now, that's a word for somebody. I tell you right there, right? So, invest your time in things of kingdom significance. Number four, invest, uh, or see, next, invest your resources in things and people of kingdom significance. Your, your finances. First Timothy 5.17 says, if anyone does not provide for his own household, he's denied the faith, and it's not as bad as an unbeliever, it's worse than an unbeliever. So, there's an imperative that we use our finances, right, to help people in our family. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. That sets the priority. Just because you stand out on the side of the road and say, you know, uh, please, anything helps, God bless, 
Oh, glory to God. Don't get me started on that. I handled benevolence for Pastor Huffman for three years while I was on staff for his church. And I've heard every sob story and every sad song somebody could play for you. That, that does not move me. The Holy Spirit moves me on where I give when I help people. Because you might just be equipping somebody. Because there's a reason their family cut them off. There's a reason God cut them off. And the, the prodigal son that was in the pig pen wouldn't have never returned to daddy's house if daddy had been sending him a subsidy check every month to help him get by. Um, so give, giving to support the work of the ministry, right? So the next thing you give, you know, we're talking about your time, your, tra- your, your, your money, finances. Philippians 4, 10 through 19, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Paul writing uh, uh, to the Philippians, he says, um, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared with me in my distress. Now you Philippians know that from the beginning of the gospel I departed Macedonia and no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once again for my necessities. Not that I seek gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. Talking about your account. He's saying, Paul's saying, you gave to me to help support the ministry and help me make the ministry go, and I'm not looking for a gift from you because I need it, because I've learned how to be satisfied whether whether I'm eating pork and beans or whether I'm eating filet mignon, right? I mean, that's one way, right? I become content with it, but you giving to, but them giving to him was fruit to their account, right? And it says, uh, I have uh, all, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent to you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And here's a verse everybody likes on the refrigerator. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I remember Pastor Huffman preaching, and he said, this promise was made to givers, not greedy people that held on to their money. You read it in its context, it was people who sowed, and so the, if you're not a sower and you're not a giver and you're not sowing to the things of God, you can't claim the promise. You don't meet the conditions, right? And then finally, use your God-given gifts to bless people. So your time, your, your, your treasure, your money, right, and your gifts, right? Um, God places spiritual gifts in us. Romans 12, 3 through 8 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. Again, that's your currency. God has dealt that to you. God gave that investment to you, the measure of your faith. Uh, For as we have many members in the body, but all the members do not have the same function, So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, Pastor Marcus, if you want to go ahead and come on up. Is he in here? There he is. Um, So this. So this is the things. With your, so you invest, if you want to seek first the kingdom, we're talking about how to seek first the kingdom, it is your investment of your time, 
your investment of your, of your finances, right? And your investment of your gifts that God's placed in you, that he placed those there for you to serve the church first and then, and then the world, right? To serve the world. So doing these things are ways to seek first the kingdom of God and to maximize God's return of investment in our lives. It's an act of obedience to God that advances his kingdom, but also ensures that when we stand before him to give an account of the work of our lives with his investment, that he will be pleased and that we will receive a full reward. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. Thank you.